I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Today's guest is Gavin Jackson. Gavin is CEO at OXA, previously Oxbotica, which calls themselves the Autonomous Vehicle Software Developer. OXA provides businesses with the tools they need to deploy autonomy in their operations safely, securely, and efficiently. This includes the software driving the vehicles, proprietary generative AI tools that accelerate deployment with OXA MetaDriver and cloud-based tools for fleet management with OXA Hub. And the company's platform can be used today across multiple industries such as shared passenger transport, logistics, goods delivery, agriculture, energy, and mining. So, talking autonomy... But from a different perspective today, so we're, we talk several different applications. There's a, a lot of discussion around what uh, Gavin and Oxa see as the some of the most promising shorter-term applications and where autonomy can really be applied in a meaningful way soon. Um, and we talk about Oxa's, I think, unique approach in the industry. And I, I won't spend a ton of time here because this is one of the key topics to for the uh uh, for the discussion here, but the business model is a bit different. It's really it's a, a suite of software and services that they are providing, and across many different industries, many companies are will be deploying using the AXA driver and the software in the background. So, I'll leave the intro there for now. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Gavin Jackson. Today, I'm joined by Gavin Jackson. Gavin, thanks for joining the show. Pleasure. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to these, uh, this, this conversation. I think uh, the way OXA is approaching and providing value in the automated vehicle space is unique. It's really it's interesting. I'm excited to explore this topic and this, this space with you. So would you mind setting the stage and ex- yeah, introducing yourself and then also explaining a bit about OXA and what you're doing? Absolutely. So uh, I'm Gavin Jackson. I'm the CEO of OXA. Uh, I've had uh, 26 years at this point in in large-scale technology companies, um, scaling them around the world with companies like Amazon and Microsoft and uh, VMware and others. Uh, and this is uh, this is the the bride of my life. Uh, just a, a little bit then about uh, about Oxa. So we are, as you pointed out, we, we're quite differentiating. We are the world's first and only operating system for autonomy. Uh, which means that we can manage and drive any vehicle in any place in any domain, and then therefore uh, change how the earth moves and sort of everything that's in it, every every sort of facet of vehicles that transport people or goods or 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 you know uh, materials or whatever it might be that moves. Uh, we're on a mission to change all of that, and in doing so, we get the opportunity to unlock the benefits of self-driving technology to every person and every company on the planet. Uh, which is quite differentiating, as you can imagine, from, you know, the uh, the sort of ride-hailing, sort of just taxi narrow application. This is really about, you know, unlocking benefit where there's the most urgent and persistent need, uh, and that is across a really broad brush of applications and and needs and requirements. 
you know, it's up and down the supply chain. It's in the first, middle and last mile of, of logistics where there's a, a, a pretty drastic driver shortage right now. And it's, it's really kind of putting some strain on uh, our global economy and the supply chain in general. Uh, it's in how we, you know, mine the resources that we need for our medicines and for, you know, fueling our economy in the, in the digital economy with things like silicon and other things that are mined. It's in how we, uh, you know, construct a world around us for what is now, what, six billion more people since the first Fords rolled off the production line. There's six billion more people now than there was then. It'd be another billion people over the next decade. We need to find a way to, 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 to solve that particular problem. You know, how we feed that many people in agriculture, you know, understanding that uh, farmers are, are, are leaving the trade hand over fist at this point in time and automation therefore needs to be inevitable in that space. So solving all of these real world problems and also at the same time, you know, changing how people move in and around cities so that you, you have the right sort of form factor of vehicle that is shuttling people in and out of town, in and out of cities and really kind of reducing, dramatically reducing single occupancy journeys, which I think is what the ride hailing sort of taxi application is trying to uh, trying to solve. So, so that's it's, it's a very broad brush that we are focused on here, and, and that's what makes us unique. And we we can do that with our operating system. Yeah, cool. Lots of lots. I'm excited to dive into deeper here. So, so first of all, you use the term operating system. Can you expand on what you mean by that? Absolutely. So, so we provide uh, a a horizontal platform for self-driving that in itself is a little bit like if you think about uh, the 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 uh, um, uh, the Google Android operating system business model in that it can work on any device that is sort of Android enabled and then it actually provides a platform for third-party developers to build applications on right so uh, it, all of Google's uh, various different millions of different customers that are building applications for that particular marketplace it's the same is true for Oxa so we have a, an operating system software that can drive and, and handle any vehicle, whether control surface and, and, and drive-by-wire technologies uh, underneath that. And what we do is then we, we partner with industry to build the application for autonomy. So, for example, in, uh, in goods delivery, we're partnered with uh, a first-of-a-kind in, in um, Ocado. And Ocado are trying to bring... Uh, goods delivery and grocery delivery in particular to the mass market for their own uh, con- consumer customers and then for third-party uh, retailers around the world. And so they are essentially building the application for goods delivery, leveraging our platform in the same way that Trimble are doing the same thing for agriculture and and, and sort of figuring out the workflows and the, and the application of agriculture in the same way that Wenco are doing for uh, the mining application, and they're figuring out the workflows and the application of mining. So it's, it typically tends to be you know, what I refer to as the 2% problem. So most of what we do is, a, is, a, is general sort of operating system, general capabilities that can service all of those needs. And then the 2% is what makes it unique. And that's typically to do with either maneuvers or workflow. Uh, so some concrete examples of that sort of 2% that then our customer would then develop uh, in conjunction with us is that you know, where ZF for mass uh, people transportation with shuttles have requirements to stop at bus stops in the workflow, uh, but never to mount a curb. Uh, Ocado in goods delivery have a requirement to, you know, pick up from the, you know, number four uh, loading bay, go to several um, uh, homes uh, on their delivery routes, uh, mount curbs uh, where it's uh, appropriate to do so, which is a different maneuver, uh, and then come back to base. And so that's the sort of the, the 2% problem that actually our customers work on in conjunction with us. So it's not too much of an overhead for us. Yeah, can we expand on that a bit? So yeah, fun- fundamentally, self-driving or robotics, right, has, has the same bones of sensing perception, route planning, route that's following, task execution. How it, and But the, yeah, as you mentioned, there's, there's some unique requirements and also i mean if you if depending on how wide you're painting this brush which you guys are painting the brush pretty wide like the form factor the speeds you're dealing with they 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 do vary so how how do you how have you tried to think about it how how do you think about now like the the similarity and like the fact that because i mean one one perspective hey you're you're over designing bits of the underlying operating system if you try to optimize for this this wide um, brush and then you make modifications from there. 
how, how do you handle yeah. how do you find find the lines to that for that question yeah, absolutely so 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 really it's so every autonomy system needs to answer some fundamental questions it needs to answer you know, where am i and not just where am i in the world or or, or on a route but where am i vis-a-vis the the curbs and where am I vis-a-vis the speed bumps and, and the, the, the rock in a mine or, or wherever it might be. It needs to know where it is. So good localization is a, is a core and general requirement. Uh, you need to then say, well, what's around me? You know, how well do I see and, and do I perceive and can I track all of the, the static and dynamic uh, movers and actors in that world? Uh, and so your first sort of uh, port of call to, to this non-differentiating is, the, is a stuff detector. Like, is there stuff that is in the path in which I don't need that I, that I can't hit uh, from a safety perspective? And then, obviously, over time, what what differentiates that is well, what stuff? And there's various different layers to then sort of labeling what stuff uh, is is moving and what stuff is tracking, so that you can then predict better. And so that's how we sort of layer on uh, our sort of perception. So where am I? What's around me? And then, based on those two inputs, is then what do I do about that? And then every sort of eight centimeters, we have a plan for how we're going to move uh, next in that trajectory. And if there's something that we're tracking that is uh, that is predictable, like a cyclist, for example, on a road, and we know that cyclists can wobble and vary a little bit, and we know what the highway code says about keeping distance, and we know that there's oncoming traffic when you want to overtake, and all these different sort of uh, inputs, uh, the planner will then decide based on everything that it's seen, should I sit behind for a while or sh- and, and wait for the overtake or is it safe to overtake? So it's where am I, what's around me and what do I do? And they're all general problems. And from that base level uh, foundational general autonomy problem, we then layer on specifics. And a lot of those specifics really come from the application, the use case that our customers bring to the table. So we don't need to learn uh, everything that there is to learn about agriculture because it turns out that Trimble have a really nice business mm-hmm. in servicing the agriculture need. Um, and they and we, we also developed some technology we refer to as MetaDriver, which is a product of ours. And MetaDriver means that we can take uh, scenes that, that, um, that the Trimble have seen uh, you know, agriculture scenes, and we can put them into Meta into MetaDriver, which is in the metaverse essentially. And then we can uh, use generative AIs to generate you know new new scenes of the same place. You know, turn it into snow and fog and mist and different times of the day, different uh, positioning of the sun, and all these different things. So we can train that data a lot faster than you can otherwise would if you had you know, developers just simply you're developing for scenarios and developing for, you know, expanded data types. And so we've automated all of that with MetaDriver, which is uh, one of the sort of secret sources, if you will, behind how we're able to do what we do. So starts with foundation and then various different layers on top accelerated uh, by MetaDriver. And how do you handle IP through all this, right? So, so, I mean, take the agriculture space, for example, um, that some, yeah, they're doing great work in the space that's also not the only ones working on some form of automated agriculture. How, how do you handle it if a, another company in that space comes to you? Is it, you guys are just strict on, hey, you own all the background IP and foreground stuff is theirs and you can't take it to the next project? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, so there, there is no uh, exclusivity or lock-in with any one customer or any any, any type. So essentially, again, we're providing that sort of open. We're we're an open architecture. We we are very open ecosystem led as well as one of our sort of core strategies to be very open. And so we provide a a, a license capability. We also provide then uh, a developer uh, capability as well, so that people can develop on top of that. And what other folks develop is 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 their own. You know, the the, the products that the, the the product of goods delivery that Ocado is developing is uniquely theirs. And to develop and, and launch that product, they require licensing, software licensing from OXA, and that's what we provide fundamentally. So mm-hmm. the, the boundaries are actually pretty clear. Uh, we do nothing that is uh, bespoke, that is, uh, that, is, that is any sort of IP bleed. Uh, we have our system. We provide that system. Customers can build on top of that system. And ultimately, the products that they take to market are uniquely theirs. And that's, again, one of the differentiators because we're not a vertically integrated provider trying to do all things, which we think is, you know, in, in today's times with uh, capital scarcity and, and all the other challenges that mm-hmm. we see, I think that anyone is trying to you know, be the service operator, uh, be the vehicle manufacturer, you know, be the um, the sensor manufacturer and then solve autonomy. I, I think that's a really 
hard yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're, you, we're, we're, we're distinctly not doing that. We're providing the operating system that is the glue between all of those pieces, staying very open so that we can always take advantage of the best innovation that comes at every layer. You know, the next innovation in vehicles, the next innovation in sensors and in compute. And we can then work with any service operator in any domain in that regard. And that, again, that's what makes us quite unique here. Yeah. And it's, it's different from, from some fundamental layers, but like the, uh, some of the value proposition is something. So I previously come from the engineering services space, large German company, FEV, and some, some of the value is, is similar here, right? And that like that we were exposed to everything across the whole spectrum of mobility and had done that work that then our team was very good at dissecting something, understanding a situation and solving the next problem, not because we're applying solutions that were, developed for a previous customer and because it was very straight and they still have very strict confidentiality and um do very well controlling that ip but like the that skill set and ability like it's still it it was as if our customers were certainly not coming in on the ground floor they were we were able to get them to the next place and and i imagine there's something similar here it's it's very similar so it's it's actually you know, it's one of the things that attracted me to oxa in the first instance is is that it had a very unique play here um, and it, it really just needed to be utilized in the right way with the right business model here as well, because obviously we need to turn all of this into a business model. And, you know, my background is in building large-scale platforms. Uh, you know, I previously ran large parts of Amazon Web Services, for example. It's a great example of a, you know, singular platform uh, or a singular interface to a platform with lots of capabilities inside of it, lots of uh, tools and services inside of it that enables and empowers third parties to be who they want to be and to build what they want to build. And that's really how you should think about Oxa is that, you know, all of these companies that we work with and we always, we always go to market initially with a, what we'd refer to as a category defining anchor customer that is developing those first applications that, you know, pushing over those first dominoes, right. For all of the other dominoes that are shaped that way to leverage and take advantage of down the line. Uh, and it's, it's very, it's very analogous to, to Amazon Web Services. You're building that singular platform. You have first movers that are acting on that platform, but ultimately the network effect of everybody developing and everybody sharing and everybody being open is uh, accelerating development across all domains. And it's also, by the way, it's not like, um, uh, you know, all of the, the, the work that, uh, the, the Wenko, for example, are doing in mining is not then reusable. Uh, you know, in in other places like on on the public highways, and and vice versa for that matter. So in mining, they take advantage of the fact that the stuff detector and the sort of labeling of of things that they don't want to hit, particularly the sort of soft fleshy things called humans. Uh, that the, if you're if you're optimizing, if you're providing great capabilities for um, public transit, then you want to bring that into a mine. And in the same way, you know, oftentimes in uh, in, in public transit, you. You, you're denied GPS, for example, and, and signals and, and knowing where you are, which is a critical part of it. So you need to be able to rely on what's down on the base vehicle. You need to be able to rely on localizing without any connectivity and without any visibility of sky and things like this. And you get that sort of capability. You learn that faster from having you know, access to all of that denied at the get-go. And mining is a great application for that because we do underground mining. We do, uh, we do it where... You know there are great ca- cavernous walls uh, that, that that are surrounding the vehicle, and so you know there's no signals whatsoever. So we take all of that learning, and then we we collapse it onto the horizontal again, and that horizontal becomes better and better over time. So every application lifts every other application, uh, and the network effects just keep it moving quickly. How do you deal with uh, the the so mining brings up a, a good example of like that's something that from the out so i have some experience in this space and from from the outside it seemed like hey this is such this is an obvious type thing we've been doing some great work on the ground transportation side let's try to take that expertise and go apply it to mining and then hmm. so on, on the surface seemed pretty simple and then i got deeper into it. i'm like well actually there's really cool work that's been going on in this space for decades and they're, they're, yeah. they're further along in certain areas than than i had expected and um different kind of boundary conditions in the way that they've defined things. But so then it became suddenly like, Hey, well, actually I'm less sure that there's a value proposition here. And then I think there's a, on the other side of that peak of kind of complexity, there's a, no, let's, let's figure out 
this is the area, these are the gaps where there's th- things that we know that we can help this industry solve. So how, but, and I think that's pretty common, right? Like as you approach a new industry or a new application, someone comes up with the idea, it seems so obvious, like, yeah, we can do all these things. You go into it and you're like, well, this is more complex than we thought. And then you have to pick and choose and you figure out where the, the real, like a, the simplicity on the far side of complexity is kind of one way to summarize this, this idea. But how, how do you, how, how do you think about that as you get exposed yeah. to new industries and applications? Well, Brandon, I think that that is spot on. I, I don't, I don't think autonomy, certainly in the in the next decade, is here to be a panacea replacing all things. I think autonomy is going to augment, you know, how we drive and 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 the human aspects of all of that uh, for the next decade. And so, mining as as an example of that, you know, the reason that you have uh, you know hundred ton trucks and, and and actually larger, even even larger trucks, the reason you have those size of trucks in mines is because there is actually a human behind the wheel and you're optimizing for the amount of time a human is behind the wheel and because it's all about sort of time and utilization and moving goods from where they're not valuable at all which is at the mining part and then the the the, the, the moving them from one part of the mine to the other part and the sort of uh, reject hauling uh sort of part of it. the hauling is really the the core part of the business model for mining they need to move it from a to b quickly because then it turns into money and revenues for for the company uh, and so they're only that large because of the the fact that they need to do that in an optimized way. And uh, they're running for 24 hours typically, and there's three driver shifts for every one vehicle. And so, you know, and, and it's not work that people, uh, you know, tend to want to do these days. And there's a shortage of drivers, which drives up the cost of the driver. And it's about $250,000 per driver. So it's $750,000 per vehicle per shift. And so, you know, the cost of that is is prohibitive. And then the technology today is actually quite limited uh, in terms of uh, autonomy in those vehicles. And actually, for the most part, it's about enabling greater perception of the human. When you think about this as being then level four and level five autonomy, and you take the human out of the equation, then actually all things in the mind can change. No longer do you need a you know 300 ton or whatever the size of the vehicle is truck that then no longer has a requirement to have 60 meter wide roads, right? That you have to cut into the mine in order to satisfy the turning circles of those large vehicles. No longer do you have to have uh, both a large truck and then a diesel powered conveyor belt that does the long haul uh, of the, the, the reject haulage, because that's tends to be what the case is because the tires burn out really quickly on the long haul in those large trucks it changes everything. It's like a tropic cascade of value that happens as a result of taking the driver out. Suddenly you can move to much smaller, uh, standardized sort of Scania-like trucks. Uh, I speak about Scania because they are uh, partnering with us in this space. And uh, you, they, they are standardized uh, you know, Scania trucks with, with uh, t- tipping um, uh, plates at the back. And, and it does the same job. They're just more plentiful. Uh, they can do the, the, the long haul without the tires burning out. You don't need to build factories on site based on diesel power. Uh, and the whole thing becomes more sustainable. The whole thing becomes more economic. Um, and uh, ultimately, it satisfies the requirement of moving you know, value, things without value in the mine itself to places of value faster uh, at a much lower cost as well. So once you move, remove the driver and you get your, your sort of uh, mindset around the, the, the driver being removed, then everything changes as a result of that. Yeah, and I mean the propulsion systems as as well, right? Like the, I mean, there's great work being done. And I think even those huge haul trucks are being electrified here, but uh, a lot easier if they're not that big. <laughs> Absolutely, a lot easier, a lot easier to maintain, to buy, right? To uh, to to electrify. To yeah. yeah, absolutely. All, all things change, but it but it's not. It, it won't be an overnight sensation. It will be augmentation. It will be okay. So. Let's not have diesel guzzling uh, conveyor belts that go, you know, the last mile in a mm-hmm. mine. Uh, let's let's do the the reject hauling onto smaller form factor trucks that don't burn out uh, after after their run, and have them do that, you know, in, a, in smaller electric trucks. And then over time, the size of those trucks will just reduce. The size of the the sort of you know the, the core you know, uh, material movers, the, the large trucks would just reduce over time. It won't be an overnight thing in the same way that, you know, we would never advocate for the fact that uh, actually, I don't think that people are going to let go of their passenger cars anytime soon. I don't think the answer 
incidentally, is single occupancy taxis today either. I don't think that's really what the world is craving. And there's no city that we've ever spoke to uh, since I've been here at OXA that is saying, please have more single occupancy journeys uh, that mm-hmm. we can then make autonomous. There's just no extra value out there. But what there is uh, a place to do, and also, by the way, we're not replacing large buses and trains, and everything else. We're augmenting it with a service that is more abundant, with smaller form factor shuttles that leverage the infrastructure the cities have today, that leverages the the sort of trend towards uh, out of town sort of park and rides, where the last mile going into the city transit is uh, is electrified small shuttles that go in and out. You know, these are the applications I think that will uh, stand the test of time. And the the, the 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 countries uh, that we talk to, and the the cities that we talk to, and the world in, in general, I think will benefit the most from if, in terms of people transportation. But it's not a panacea. It's not going to be all things to all people. Yeah, and I think that's a good. I, I've seen more of this lately, but it's it's uncommon that um, people in the in and around the industry are able to take a step back and say, "Well, what what's actually the objective for self driving technology? Is it to?" Right do something cool and to have a vehicle that's self-driving. I mean, that, that's, that's interesting, but what's more interesting is, you know, fundamentally, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to move goods. We're trying to move people in a way yeah. that is effective. It's accessible, sustainable, and it's safe. So like how, how is the work that's being done somehow serving that deeper goal? Yeah. You, the, the, the spot on again. And, and that is really that, that, that drives from our, our core purpose, you know, we are here to unlock the benefits of self-driving technology to every person and company on the planet. So you have to underscore at that point, the word benefit. Is there benefit here for society, for the world, for the planet, for the economy, for, for everything else inside of it? Or is there benefit for, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the taxi company, right? Is there benefit for the consumer? Probably no, because if you think about the economics uh, today of uh, single occupancy ride hailing, um, you, you know Uber's serving that market and Lyft and Bolt. They're all servicing that market, you know, relatively well. There's an abundance of of, of drivers and vehicles, and people can move around. It's relatively low cost. Um, you know that market is being serviced quite well today. So who is so how is autonomy going to change the game for that consumer? The likelihood is it's not. It's actually just going to be more expensive. It's less flexible, still fixed routes. And so you're not going to be able to you know, do all the things in, in anywhere autonomy you can do today. Eventually you will, for sure. Eventually the economics will change. Uh, it will be everywhere autonomy eventually, but that's still a long, long way away from being viable. And so for the for the time being, uh, it's really about uh, you know, fixed routes and, and, and solving real world problems. And what is real today is the mass transit market of getting people in and out of cities without more and more single occupancy journeys. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of where our sort of people-based transportation is focused today. It's not on ride-hailing taxis. It's on shuttling people in and out of cities and towns and sort of centers of mass. And I think it's a good distinction you had there too of like this, this isn't just a purely bearish take on that. Like eventually there is a use case and there are these cascading yeah. effects, right? Of like, Hey, if everyone's auto- automated, then you can have smaller form factor vehicles and you can have more yeah. dedicated use vehicles, which then have these other cascading benefits. But like that, that's a super complex ecosystem that all needs to come together. And we're, we're certainly not there yeah. right now. And it's, it's like, it's, it's crazy expensive. Like if you think about, again, if you, if you look at the, the way that that market is being serviced today in a, you know, a Toyota Corolla, uh, you know, $30,000 vehicle uh, with no sensors, uh, you know, a, a driver who is, uh, you know, somewhat self-employed and, you know, the, the, it, there's an abundance of them. You can get picked up from anywhere and go anywhere. Right, and then you're replacing that with a vehicle that is you know two hundred fifty thousand, three hundred thousand dollars. Then you're adding sensors to that. Then you've got the software that you need to add to that. And then, you know, uh, and then the, the routes are fixed today. They're not they're not sort of random and generalized. And so there's there's less flexibility. So I'm definitely not saying that that is not going to be how we move around uh, in the future around cities and such like. I, I think that we will augment again. I think it'll be augmentation between mass transit and single occupancy there, but it will all be it'll all be electrified and it'll all be uh, autonomous at that point. Mm-hmm. But it's a long way to go for that to be really viable. And actually, you know, it takes a, uh, a Waymo, a Google and, uh, you know, and with the patience and the capital to be able to do that. Uh, and and we've, we're glad that they are right. They're doing that because uh, in the meantime, um, there is uh, there is a urgent and persistent need 
from city mayors and from you know uh, from from presidents and prime ministers and everyone in between to change how people move in and out of cities to make them more productive and connect different areas. Uh, you know, in, uh, in in my country, in the UK, there's a uh, there's the, there's a divide at this point in time between the UK and and the North in terms of opportunity and jobs, and there's an agenda to level up the rest of the country. And transportation is a huge part of that. And so, changing how people move and get into these epicenters uh, is uh, is really where the focus is. And it's not unique to to the UK, of course. It's a, it's a global phenomenon. Um, and uh, and and today, it's not being well served um, by current methods of transport. Yeah. And that's one of the things throughout this podcast that I keep coming back to is like the, the complexity of the mobility ecosystem and the importance of solving all these different notes. Like I, for example, uh, the Netherlands and, and Amsterdam, right. With their, their biking culture it's, it's incredible. Yeah. But from personally, right. I've really enjoyed time being there, being able to move around also from a sustainability and effectiveness yeah. accessibility perspective. It's incredible. But like one of the fundamental pieces there is that you can, then jump on a train and easily get to the next area and then once you get there you can move around without needing a private use vehicle all right so it's it's not as simple as just hey ride a bike and get in local infrastructure there's also pieces in place that need to all come together here and so it seems like from an autonomy perspective at least the way you seem to be speaking i'd like you to clarify this and expand but you, you guys are working with several of the different players who are addressing specific use cases where there's a a short term and then also medium and long-term value proposition for autonomy. Uh, That's, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, in the, in that complex sort of value chain, it sort of starts again with the need and the need is for that consumer, that, that citizen to move about their daily business on their commute to work or, or for leisure or for whatever, whatever it might be. And to do that in a way that doesn't require them to have a personal, you know, passenger car that takes them here, there, and everywhere, which doesn't service, uh, uh, doesn't serve the needs of of the planet or the economy or any anything else in between, and then that's largely then owned as a problem uh, by governments of the world. It's a very consistent strategy that governments have. You know, again, you won't find many governments, if any, that are saying we must have more people commuting into cities in their passenger cars. It's always the reverse of that, always. And so, okay, so how do we service that requirement? And then that then lands on the laps of people that understand mass transit. It's the public transport operators. And the public transport operators themselves are trying to you know, build a sustainable business. And they have you know, different form factors of vehicles. So you'll have you know, large double-decker buses for peak times, but you still today have large double-decker buses for non-peak times. And so you're carrying, you know, even with electrification, you're still carrying mass around without any sort of firm utilization for it. So there's there's augmentation of that sort of transportation type from a smaller form factor of shuttles that leverage that fixed route that get people where they want to go in an electrified, sustainable way, where you still have the benefits and the flexibility of hopping on, hopping off um, on those fixed routes and getting to where you need to be. So it really is about augmentation. And for us, it's about partnering with the rest of the value chain so that what we do lifts them and empowers them. And we sit behind them and they, they service their customers in the way that they need to service them. Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense. And I like the perspective. Um, I mean, also from a OXA business case and financial sustainability perspective, it seems to make sense yeah. in that you're uh, one, I mean, yeah, true, you're providing this this wide-reaching value which needs to be had from the network effects and benefits here across across the industries but at the same time also you, you guys aren't stuck or to any one of these solutions popping off at the right time right like you you're absolutely diversifying so, so a we're diversifying in the application you know b that diversification actually is is drawn on from the magnet of the customer developing that application. Mm-hmm. So there is a need and a drive and investment, and they're they're developing, you know, that application, and we're partnering with them to do that. Uh, but it's not just in the application either; it's in the the rest of the value chain. So being open as we are means that we don't have to uh, stay true to any one sensor type. You know, we have we we know that there's great advancements in radar technologies and in lidar technologies and. If we were building our own, which tends to be, you know, one of the trends I see in in, in some other companies, uh, you know, to, to to their credit, building in in you know in, in uh, vertically integrated stacks. But what if 
better happened? You know, what if innovation happens from another company where there's billions of dollars of investment going into that sort of area of sensor, you know, of compute or of of cameras or of sensors or of radars that are longer ranging, more accurate, with Doppler capabilities and and sense, you know, better sensing in general. We want to be able to take advantage of that the minute it launches, right, and not have to then fast follow and try and develop that te- technology for ourselves because we went down the route of building our own. We want to be the center of what is an open ecosystem where all of those sensor manufacturers can innovate and have the freedom to innovate and, they, and they'll, they'll do so and they will. Uh, and vehicle manufacturers that are providing generation two uh, sort of upfitting now for autonomy and then to you know, generation three eventually for you know, native uh, driverless vehicles they'll keep getting better and better and better. We don't want to vertically own that space. We want to take advantage of all the innovations going on there. And of course, the service operators themselves are experts in their field and they know they need to transition and add more uh, transport types or or, or more uh, ways of moving goods and and, and people for their own value chain. Autonomy is central to that. It's an inevitability in that if we're focusing the right areas. And so we don't have to develop any of that. That's, That's really their their bag is, is, is what they bring to the table is they bring the application, they bring the workflows, they bring the maneuver requirements. It's the 2%. And then we develop with them uh, against that 2% on a funded basis. And then we, we launch that capability. So it's, um, it, it's great being the center of the, of the ecosystem rather than being, uh, you know, all things to all people trying to do all things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to uh, not represent this perfectly, but the, the, I'd be curious uh, you guys' own resources and focus and time, how much now is it split between the 98% and the 2%? So, so how much is it the operating system that you guys own and are continuing to refine and improve and look for these opportunities to utilize the latest and greatest on the industry versus how much is it working with your customers to get the application work done? Uh, it's, it is the vast, vast majority. I would say as high as 90% of our resources are on the general horizontal which is fed by uh, largely our customer autonomy and deployment teams. So, um, you know, every time we deploy with a new uh, a, a new customer, and uh, you, you, you'll know of one, uh, but we, we can't talk about it on this podcast, uh, 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 sadly, but uh, just in the next week or two, we'll be out in the U.S. deploying uh, in a uh, mass um, transit, um, a public transit shuttle-type environment, uh, and we're going to be out there doing that uh, with, 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 with them. And so that's a deployment need. And, and we are working on the maneuvers, you know, where, the, where the stops are. But ultimately, what the horizontal team now, the, the sort of, you know, the, the operating system team are doing now is then providing the tools to that particular transport operator, the other transport operators will then build and leverage as well to manipulate their own workflows and to, you know, to, to work out where the, the, it needs to stop and to manage all of that for themselves without the need for any kind of human intervention or any OXA intervention there at all. So I would say it's about 90% today is still on the general uh, challenge, and it's a high tide that lifts all boats in that regard. And then we get the, the, the rest of it is in deployment and customer autonomy, which is defining all of the specific needs. We have some internal metrics that we, we think is um, – a fun way to look at it, I suppose. Uh, so, you know, when you're sort of stuck behind that uh, delivery van and it's, it's got the sticker on the back says, how's my driving? Uh, that's our internal metric. So how's my driving is our general capability. That's our horizontal. And then we have, you know, the, uh, you know, when you're sort of five-year-olds in the back seat and you're on your uh, vacation in the car and they're saying, are we there yet? And it's kind of consistently persistent uh, in, in asking the question, are we there yet? That's our model for understanding the specifics of the customer requirement. Mm-hmm. So how's my driving in the end will always meet the threshold of, are we there yet for each of the applications, but how we define each of those applications or more to the point, how customers define each of those applications is in a metric that we refer to as, are we there yet? Which is just a nice uh, fun way of, uh, of, of collecting that data and, and, and developing to it. Yeah. I like that, uh, that framework for, for thinking about it. And so how, how do you think when you're, when you're launching with a new customer potentially in a new region here as we're, we're I think this is first, first launch in, in the U S here. What, to what degree does your team need to be intertwined there and kind of on the front lines learning and trying to understand the, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if there are big regional differences necessarily in the automated driving space, but like 
is that something that you think about of like, hey, we, we really need to go understand this, these new markets we're going into? Or even beyond that, I mean, I doubt that it's the US is one sub like that's every city, every niche within a city, every street or block probably has its own unique chance. So how do you guys think about understanding the, the nitty gritty details when you launch with new yeah. customers in a new areas? Absolutely. So, so, I mean, part of what we uh, did at the turn of the year when we closed our uh, Series C funding round, we cl- closed $140 million of, uh, of, of funding and financing. Uh, part of the, the reason for raising that money was our commercialization internationally. And the core markets for us are the United States and, uh, and, and or actually North America in general, so it includes Canada as well. So it's a significant part uh, of what we do. And, uh, and 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 parts of Europe as well. So being you know, quite careful and 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 um, uh, steady in how we do that, but that's really what the investment is uh, is 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 paying for. So and and largely what that means is that we'd already built over the last number of years some centers of mass for developer talent, which uh, obviously the US has an abundance of, but also uh, in in Toronto and Canada we have a development center there, and we sort of tend to center our development needs where the talent is and th- there's there's great talent in, in both of those areas um and then we have our deployment teams for and the deploy- deployment teams you should consider them as being you know like services uh rollout teams effectively that are for first of a kind deployments so on a first of a kind deployment you would uh you would sort of understand the lay of the land you would understand where you were driving what the rules were what uh public bodies you need to you know, you need to work with uh, what the ecosystem looks like there. You know, you'd, you'd hire locally for that knowledge, uh, and then ultimately that becomes your capability for the for, for, for that for that place. And so uh, that's what we've been doing really for the last number of months is is building up our teams uh, in North America, extending our teams in, uh, in in Canada, and and they they are the sort of first teams on the ground deploying with our customers. And so that's become a sort of tried and tested model for us um, and something that we can continue to scale in line with our customers. But it's a it's not a forever uh, sort of scaling requirement. It's really for first of a kind deployments that we have. Uh, we have people that are you know white gloving the situation, right? They're sort of providing a really kind of uh, high class service to that particular transport operator in this case or uh, agriculture company in, in, in another case that we're doing this year. Uh, or mining case in in Canada that we're doing uh, this year too, and and all these things in in, uh, in in between, we have these deployment teams that service the customer need uh, for those first of the kinds. And do you have you run into any situations where? So so I'm thinking specifically of like some, something like yard truck automation, where there is an interesting autonomy case. It's a niche application where there's a proven value and value prop. But like one of the key pieces of automating that is the automation of a mechanical connection between yeah. a trailer and a uh, terminal tractor. And uh, yeah, not not something I imagine which is within the core expertise of what Ox is trying to do. So how in a situation like that, and there's probably others out there where like yeah. a certain amount of the, the challenge is stuff outside of your, like how, do, how would you guys think about whether that's a good area? And if so, mm. how, how to approach it? Well, so so the way so it's, it's a perfect example actually of what it means to be in that open ecosystem uh, value chain. You know where what we do lifts the capabilities of others, and there are other companies that are providing uh, sort of full turnkey solution uh, in the end that includes the mechanical arm and includes the you know the software that sort of checks the vehicles in and out of the yard and, and all those different things. Um, and we're partnering with those to provide our autonomy. And again, I, I can't, on, uh, regrettably on this podcast, I can't say who, but you can probably guess uh, a few of the names that, that are playing in that space. And, and we are, we're partnering with them to provide what we do. And sometimes that is the full level four autonomy stack, uh, Oxa driver, uh, but sometimes it is parts of that stack. So there are companies that are doing, that can provide some level of autonomy for the you know, very niche, like you said, very niche uh, use case that they have. Uh, but they want some greater expertise in something like perception capabilities, like how well do I see and how well do I track? Uh, and then therefore, how well can I predict what's going to happen and then and then have a plan? So there are some companies that will take parts of our uh, system. We refer to them as components. Uh, there are other companies that will do the same sort of thing that says, well, in the areas that we are providing that, 
logistical capability, oftentimes inside of buildings and not always outside of buildings. Uh, we don't have access to sky and to GPS, and so we need a better localizer. And so they'll take parts of our localization system as well. So it's really uh, it's a great example of being the center of, a, of an open value chain in that uh, companies that are really servicing that need, providing a full turnkey solution to yard movement and that sort of level of logistics in, in ports and in yards and, and other places, uh, that we can power and empower that value chain as well. And we are doing so. With, with again with some of the largest names uh, on the planet that are doing these sorts of things that will will uh, we'll, we'll be sure to come back to you uh, Brandon and talk about some of those uh, in, in a later podcast yeah and no, I'll certainly be watching the news in the in the meantime uh, absolutely but maybe maybe expanding on that topic so right this, this is the common theme that comes up is you guys seem to be right, an enabler for the companies who are yeah. solving all of these problems and you're providing a of a place for them to start or pieces that they can plug into the the puzzle that they're building. And what, what, what tends to be the most important value proposition? So there's, there's many things you can think of, right? Like, yeah, maybe it's cheaper to use, you get, maybe it allows them to get to market faster because they're able to plug and play certain areas. Maybe it helps with focus and risk mitigation because they're using a proven localization software approach as opposed to others. And there's kind of a big laundry list of, of things that could potentially be attractive from a business perspective um, using this plug and play aspects of, of but so w- what have you found talking with your customers to be the, the big rocks or the big things that stand out as the, the value? So, so um, I'll give you three answers because it depends on mm-hmm. which layer of the value stack you're servicing. So for example, in the operator layer of the stack, which is, if you think about it in your mind's eye, as, as three layers of a cake, the operator is the is the top layer of the cake. They're providing whatever service it is. If they're a public transport operator, there is it's them. If they're a, uh, a farmer, then it's them. If they're a mining company, then it's them. You know, the, the sort of top uh, area of it. So for them, autonomy and the value proposition of autonomy is that you are uh, augmenting, uh, oftentimes augmenting, oftentimes replacing the human uh, driver. Right, which tends to be either in short supply or in certain scenarios uh, an increasingly high cost. Uh, and in certain scenarios, particularly in public transportation at this point in time, is, is all of those things. It, the, the business model for public transportation is, uh, is becoming less and less viable as costs rise. You know, as fuel costs and driver costs and, and inflation, all these things rise, the, the business model is, uh, is continuously being strained. And so autonomy in that space is kind of inevitable. Same thing in agriculture, where you know at national levels in the U.S. and in Europe and and uh, and, and other parts of the world, you know where people are uh, leaving the service of, of farming because it's again become less viable as a as, as a business model. It's hard to you know to scratch a living at this point in time in in farming. Um, and if you've seen Clarkson's farm, but he really kind of highlights that in his uh, in his show. I recommend uh, people watch uh, Clarkson's uh, Clarkson's farm uh, on Amazon. Uh, but it's, it's another case where autonomy is inevitable because you're just not going to be able to feed the world unless you can bring these technologies to you know, mass deployment uh, in places like agriculture. And the same is true for lots of different areas, you know, where the service operator is the is is the um, the, the, the main actor there, the main mm-hmm. benefactor, if you will. And then the next layer of the stack is in the vehicles themselves. And if you're an OEM today, goodness me, it's, it's a very challenging time to be an OEM. You've got uh, a Tesla sort of out in the market doing what they're doing with electrification, and they've they've got an early head start on everybody else, and their production numbers are increasing, and the business models tends to be pretty good. The margins, uh, by OEM standards at least, are pretty strong. And you compare that with a lot of the sort of incumbent OEMs, and the margins are being sliced, they're thinned out. You've had Ford recently talking about the electrification challenge, and, and moving to electrification is really... Uh, they're committed to it, of course they are, but it's really challenging for their business model and it's hemorrhaging a lot of capital and everything else. And so uh, autonomy is not something that they've been able to really focus on. In fact, in that layer, you've seen a pullback uh, from OE- OEMs that are no longer sort of investing lots of money into that space. You know, Argo uh, is no longer, uh, which was the Ford and the Volkswagen uh, uh, attempt at autonomy, but they're pulling back on that because they've got other priorities uh, at, at this point in time. So in that domain, we become a great leveler uh, where no longer are 
the OEMs fixated on dry on developing their their own level four self driving capability, which in passenger cars at least is is almost forever away. But they're now saying, well, let's have let's build open systems where we give you access to more of the control surface of the vehicle, so your software can uh, can, can scale up that way. And so we're providing extra value to the OEMs there as well, and we're providing that again specifically to the application owners, those service operators in goods delivery and in public transportation and in, and in mining and in agriculture and all these different places. And then the last part of, of the value proposition stack is is people like us, these other companies that are providing solutions for uh, you know, autonomous driving. And for that, customers can take the full stack of level four OXA driver, or they can take you know, parts of the stack with our components, or they can use meta driver, right, as we do to ingest some of their data, expand that data using generative AIs and expand it again using generative AIs to do uh, scenario expansion uh, and therefore accelerating their own uh, machine learning, training, uh, testing, and then deployment. Uh, so, so there's all manner of ways in which we are servicing every actor in the supply chain. And that's not even thinking about the the component parts of that, the the uh, uh, radar manufacturers and the LIDAR manufacturers and everyone else in between, you know, our proposition there is that we are creating the need to sell more right, machines and therefore lowering the price over time, which makes the whole thing more accessible and more affordable in the value chain. So we play a pretty pivotal role, and I think, in a, in a lot of different areas of the value chain here, but just focusing on our knitting, right, sticking to the knitting. Yeah, it makes sense, and I mean, it's, it's a good place to be. I could certainly see how you're helping all those all those different areas. And I mean, this is a bit of a of a deviation, but I I, I often really enjoy learning from you know business technical leaders who I get to talk of on the podcast about uh, how they approach the, the the business and stuff. And I guess this this uh, the way you describe that makes me think. Like, I'm really curious. How, how do you think about competition? How do you think? So theoretically, there. I mean. Yeah, there's, there's some some maybe somewhat similar companies out, but there's not a direct competitor necessarily. But so all of these different areas that you're going after, it's a question of it's not often a question of like, hey, is it going to be OXA or someone else who we're going to use for X? But really, this is a business level decision, like a top often top bottom line type decision that's being made of uh, yeah, like fundamentally how do your customers want to run their business and what do they see as the best path to get so how within that framework do you personally and as you're leading oxa do you think about the competitive landscape and how, how you guys should respond based on that so so uh, we, we don't think so much about competitors per se so we're not competitor focused we're sort of oxa customer focused and servicing the needs of our customers but i will mm. say that we talk a, a little bit about uh sort of competitive philosophy and really, you know, what we're competing with is is folks that want to do vertical integration. Really, that's mm-hmm. what we're. I mean, it's hard to imagine a world where, uh, given all of the backdrop of the things that we've discussed so far, right? The, the the backdrop of you know having to feed the world and 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 automation in farming is an inevitability. We're just not going to be able to feed the world unless we we help farmers and make the business model more viable, and we have machines doing much more of the bidding. You know, same thing in, agri- in, in in construction, same thing in in mining, you know, same thing in ports and airports and all of the various different things that move there, and the same thing in mass people transportation. It's hard to imagine a world where autonomy is not going to be uh, like a key part of how pe- people and things move. And that's why we say we're, we're changing the way that the earth moves. Uh, so it's a question really of how. How do you do that? Uh, and there's really there's only two schools of thought really. There is the school of thought where you provide the full turnkey solution and you you are uh, integrating all things, potentially owning all things, where you're owning the vehicle and you're owning the the sensor stack and you're owning the compute and you're owning the service uh, operation and you're owning the the software development and everything else. And to do that, well, we've seen, haven't we? We've seen that you need billions and billions of dollars every year in order to satisfy that need. Uh, and it's challenging. It's challenging to get uh, to get that model to, to to market. But we're glad that folks are, are out there doing that because it's important for the whole industry. In fact, for the, they, they they do that work. Um, or the other model is that you you sort of combine uh, uh, an open value chain, an open ecosystem, 
and you have the vehicle of your choice, not the vehicle that is sort of selected for you. And you have uh, the, the, whatever the whatever the right sensor stack is and the right sensor modality is for you, whether that's lots of different sensors fused together or one sensor for your application. Um, it means that you know you are still in command of your your own value chain, your own customer base, your own operation. Um, you know it means that 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 ultimately the whole value chain is lifted uh, from a company like us delivering what we do. And so I think that we have we have those discussions about philosophy and understanding that look, firstly, you know, we just couldn't afford to be a vertical integrator. Uh, but secondly, I'm not sure that we would want to be if we could afford to be a vertical, uh, vertically integrated operator there. So, um, so, so really, I think that that is how we think about it. We don't think about any one company per se. We respect and admire all of them, you know, uh, and, and they've been at it for a long period of time and doing some wonderful things and making fantastic progress. So we'll always tip my hat and doff my cap to what I see from, from, uh, from other companies that are doing uh, amazing things. But I don't see them necessarily as uh, direct competitors all the time. I, I see that as a different philosophy, focusing on a different part of the value chain. And our philosophy is to be open and to be horizontal and to lift other players. Uh, and that's what we're sticking to. Yeah, and that, that seems seems to be the the right answer from the, the outside. Also, it seems more and more that that type of philosophy seems to be the the, the right approach in these complex areas. It's it's tough because, like, I mean, and maybe I just dis- misinterpreted, but like strategy school classes back in school, or like traditional strategy is like, hey, understand your competition, always be following what they are, and then making strategic moves. But like, that's not really how the business world's working right now. Like it's, there's not someone who you're trying to beat all the time. It's just, you're trying to do the best work you can serve your customers. And yeah, sure. You need to be aware of this complex area around you and and where people are moving, but like you can't make decisions based on that. Exactly. And you know, I, 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 um, I I come from Amazon school, right? So (laughs) I spent a long time being educated by some of the, the the great minds at Amazon And, and, and Jeff would speak often about the fact that, you know, there are lots of companies that will be competitor obsessed and they'll they'll react to what the competitors are doing. Uh, whereas if you stay customer obsessed, then you're always going to be at the front end of what customers need. You're always going to design and, and anticipate what they need next. You're going to have greater relationships with them. And if you just fixate on servicing the customer requirement, then ultimately you'll be rewarded in the end. And that's uh, it's very, very uh, Amazonian to think that way. <laughs> and uh, that's, the, the, that's the school that I'm from, so... Cool. Well, Gavin, this has been a real, real pleasure. I, we've covered a, a lot of a lot of grounds here. It's really cool hearing how you're building Oxo, cool work you guys are doing. Excited. Sounds like there's short term and also yeah, medium and hopefully longer term announcements coming out that we'll definitely be uh, be tracking and watching how you evolve. Um, anything we missed here? Anything kind of outside of that that you're just hoping someone who listens to this uh, takes away from the conversation? I would just say, just just watch this space. I mean, we, we really are now at the commercial deployment stage. Um, and th- there's going to be some things coming out that I think uh, people are going to enjoy and they're going to see real world value, you know, coming from autonomy, I think, you know, largely for the first time, you know, ever. And so uh, we're excited to be part of that. And uh, we're, we're really excited for our customer base as well and, and, and seeing what they do with autonomy because that's really where the magic works. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's a good place to leave it. Thanks again, Gavin. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brandon. Well, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gavin Jackson. So what stands out to me? So first, the clarity with which he speaks about these topics is really remarkable. So the uh, yeah, the everyday language and the ability to distill these complex topics into bite-sized pieces, things that are easy to digest, I, I really appreciate. Beyond that, it's interesting the, the framing, right, of OXA calling themselves the operating system for autonomous driving for self-driving vehicles like what it's it's the technology development isn't crazy far removed from uh, some of the other players but it's, it's a noticeably different go-to-market strategy and interesting exploring kind of what that means for them pros and the cons right the ability for them to come into an industry with this base this base software, which is kind of the core, right? And he said the majority of the time, the majority of the software is consistent between these different industries and then work on the application stuff with specific companies in that industry and presumably allow them to pick up, you know, 
on second, third base, probably maybe even further than that, they would claim, because they're coming in with, yeah, the, the foundational stuff taken care of, and then you can really optimize for the unique boundary conditions in each area. And it seems to make a ton of sense. I mean, from my perspective coming in, you know, there there is a lot of overlap and kind of the nuts and bolts of what goes into autonomy it's also at the core right it's a robotics problem that's being solved and then being applied to these different areas so if yeah you can get the processing in the background that can be operated and you can apply that to these different industries and make modifications and build you know dedicated application layer software on top of that i mean it, it seems to make a lot of sense so I, I really enjoyed exploring this i'm intrigued by the business model here excited to see it sounds like they have some announcements coming out here growth in the u.s partner a few partnerships coming out excited to see that excited to be following along in, in the next few months so i oh, hope you enjoyed the discussion a lot of autonomy talk on the future mobility over the last few months but from several different unique perspectives which i've really enjoyed with gavin being being just the latest here so uh yeah as always really appreciate you listening thank you and uh more to come next week Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products and annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future Mobility Podcast.